Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services. With in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO of Aviva Spectrum, a financial transformation and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a writer and speaker on topics like financial close transformation, COSO, ERM, internal audit, and accounting-related topics. My guest today, which I'm very excited about, is Elena Gomez. She is the Chief Financial Officer at Zendesk. With an unparalleled knowledge of the SaaS business model and a proven ability to build teams and partner with business leaders, Elena has been invaluable to the company. Prior to joining Zendesk, Elena spent six years at Salesforce where she helped build a world-class finance department. Throughout her two-decade career in finance at Fortune 500 companies, including Visa and Charles Schwab, Elena has built a track record of strategic financial leadership. Elena holds a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from the University of California Haas School of Business and is a national board member of the nonprofit Spark. Welcome, Elena. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited to be here. I'm excited having you on the show as well because I really think this interview is going to give our listeners some big takeaways, some lessons learned when you're in a growth organization. Uh, I know we're going to cover how to handle key employees and some of the retention strategies, also dealing with influx operations and how the accounting function moves away from this quote-unquote cost center to decision maker. So, Elena, um, let's get into it. You've been a great asset, a huge uh, instrumental force, okay, within Zendesk. But please tell our listeners first and foremost, how would you define a growth company? Sure. Um, You know, I was thinking about this. I knew I was going to come on the show, and I was thinking about, um, you know, my experience, and and every company I've been at, growth has been defined differently. Um, And we've all experienced, whether it's growth of, of uh, revenue, growth of employees, growth of customers. Um, there's so many different ways that you can define it, and it and depending on your context, one may be more appropriate than the other. But generally, what I think about when I think about growth is when I compare myself to a like-sized company, um, am I growing uh, more rapidly in comparison to other companies in my kind of ecosystem? if you will, um, and that's a true measure in, in sort of the market that you're competing in. And generally within the markets you're competing in, there will be some attribute that is more common um, than others. And I know what's common across all industries is really revenue growth, but like I said, there's so many other attributes that, that can come into play. Yeah, so it's not just one key metric. It could be looking at several metrics within, like you said, um, your peer group, right, and determining, okay, well, maybe if you're at a development stage company, um, 
<clears throat> you're not going to have the, that key revenue metric, but maybe it's, you know, focusing on uh, the development of uh, products or some of the other um, software, let's say, uh, development, et cetera. So you're kind of hiring best of breed, and so you haven't gotten to that stage. So it's it's good to kind of benchmark, it sounds like, to, to make sure yeah, you have no, the right definitely. metrics. Definitely. So, Benchmarking is so critical, um, especially for newer growth companies, because sometimes you're traveling in uncharted territory, if you will. And so it's often good to kind of leverage, you know, those who have gone before you and or those who are going through sort of a similar uh, path. Uh, and benchmarking is super, super helpful with that. Yeah. Now, tell me, what's been the most exciting part about, you know, being part of a growth company? Oh, gosh, you know, um, it's funny that you say that because I don't know if I'd go back to a non-growth company anymore, but I, if I were to articulate, like, what is the, what's the most exciting part? I think uh, it's really the opportunity and change that's going on around you. I think as in a growth company, what you often see is, you know, what you thought you were doing, you know, for the next six months changes on a dime because you're growing so fast that you have to kind of keep up with that growth and, take that opportunity uh, that in a more stable company not growing as fast, you can sort of predict what your role may be for the next 6, 12, 18 months, whereas in a growth company, you may have your role defined, but the lines of your job description can be a little blurred, which gives you an opportunity to do more perhaps than what you may think you're going to do. I think the other really neat thing about working at a growth company is that, um, like I said, change is all around you. So um, that change creates opportunities, whether it's you're launching a new product or you're um, grow outpacing your growth and now you need um, a controller or now you need a you know, CFO, as an example, those are all opportunities that are presented in a growth company. Uh, and it's not specific to the role. It could be any role, but I think that that happens a ton. And then often, uh, particularly in sort of smaller growth companies, you do have a lot of access to senior management because everyone's trying to get to that end goal, trying to grow fast. And and so there's no room for a lot of layers in the org. Usually there's there's more room for, I'll talk to the person who's the subject matter expertise expert versus needing to go through a bunch of layers. So I have found in the growth companies I've been, it's been a really nice um, nice surprise to have access to executives perhaps more than I would have at a more mature company. So it sounds like not only expect uh, the definition and, and the actual tactical things you do to change very quickly in a growth mm -hmm. company, but you know, it sounds like you're you're very willing to let go of, of those responsibilities to pivot and move into a different direction because now, you know, something else is a priority. But more importantly, I also kind of got from you is that, um, you know, dotted line to these uh, subject matter experts that you're going to need if you do need to make that pivot or change um, into, let's say, a higher priority area within your role if you're a CFO or, or what have you in, in that executive position. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point, Sonia. In that, in a growth company, you you're you have to accept and embrace change. 
Uh, and that might mean that the structure that you might be used to will no longer be there for you and, and that, that you as an employee and as a company need to be nimble because you're growing so fast that you don't really have time to pause and absorb always. And for some people, that can be very challenging. For others, they embrace it and love it. Uh, it's not for everyone, but I, I do think that, you know, um, think about going to college and saying this is my major and then halfway through changing it. You know, that's what, what it sort of feels like, um, which I think for most people is incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's and talking about exciting and dealing with more people, et cetera, but uh, what what HR strategies work best, in your opinion, in this type of environment? It's a really good question. I think, um, I, I, you know, the, for me, what I have found to be super effective, and I've seen this at, at many growth companies, is uh, do, do not compromise on talent. So uh, in particular in your key roles, you really have to make sure you have um, and are going after the strong talent and, and not, uh, you know, oftentimes what will happen is you're so busy, you've interviewed 10 people and you just want to make that hire, right? And what you realize is you could do that, but if you're compromising or settling, if you will, that's a that's a bad choice for the long term. So number one, don't compromise on talent and make sure that this is embedded in the culture of the company, uh, not just in your own department, but really across the company, the importance of getting and not compromising on talent. Uh, it's your single most important priority, you know, hands down. And then the, uh, in addition to not only attracting the best talent is retaining your best talent. Um, and really that starts with identifying and being very structured about how do you even identify who your top talent is? How do you determine that, you know, Joe is top talent and Bob is not top talent? And going through the rigor of doing that across the company and establishing sort of standard ways to evaluate uh, who is top talent, who's an emerging high potential leader, uh, and then, you know, everyone else and really making sure, okay, once you've identified those folks who you believe are either high potential or are currently top talent, have we put them in a position where we're going to really get the best of their talent? Are we uh, enabling them to grow in their own career? Uh, and if not, being um, being willing to take the risk to give those folks stretch assignments. Um, and I think stretch assignments is a great retentive tool in addition to obviously certain things like bonuses and all that. But I think more often what you find is people really want and seek that challenge. And so to the extent you can identify your top talent and then give them stretch roles, I think that's incredibly fulfilling. And then I think having a strong culture of goals and uh, having those goals really feed back up to, through the CEO and making sure everyone is aligned around those goals and then holding people accountable to them. People really appreciate when they have goals and they can measure themselves. It's like you know, weighing yourself on a scale, if you will. Um, you know, when you have a goal and you weigh yourself every day, if you look at your goals, it's really um, empowering to the employee to say, hey, I set out these goals we created them jointly, and now I'm holding myself accountable to them. Uh, I think that's incredibly important. And then finally, of course, um, preserving the culture. I, I think this can't uh, be underestimated. If you've got a strong culture in your company around um, 
everything from having fun, being inclusive, um, working hard, all those things that really make a culture rich, you want to preserve them, in particular in a growth company, because as you grow, you can see that culture become diluted. And as in a leadership team, what you really want to do is try to preserve the, the, the valuable elements of that culture. Yeah, so it sounds like um, one don't compromise on on quality. <laughs> it no, like no matter never. how frustrating. It is. <laughs> yeah, and then once you get to that, you know, the short list, you know, you're finding like what's a really good match as well. It sounds like cultures is key not only to maintain it, but including everybody into that that culture. And then I like the way you phrased um, stretch assignments. Uh, it, it's kind of Look, we we hire the best and the brightest, let's say. Now, this role has, let's say, 20 specific tasks. What would would be a stretch for my A players, right, that would drive them to excitement and get them to do A, B, or C, and therefore, you know, bonuses, et cetera, or even just uh, celebratory lunches, and I've seen people do, you know, gift cards, et cetera, because the A players just want to get recognized that they went above and beyond too. And and maybe it's not 100% based on money, um, but it sounds like uh, also having – a joint session of goals, kind of like back to the basics that we learned in college of goal setting and pacing yourself. And then the executives are are not being the police or more like coaching at that point, right? Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So it's not like trying to hammer somebody. Well, you haven't met this goal. It's more of, okay, where's the gap? Is, is it, you know, um, do you need more help here, um, more resources, more time, et cetera, rather than, you know, uh, uh, creating it as, as like a, a penalty. And I, I have found over and over again um, executives from both internal audit and also finance, goal settings is, is more of like, well, you know, tell me what you're passionate about when you do walk in the door, you know, like what's right, it going to take right. you to, to be super happy here? You know, what can I give you? Um, and, People really respond to that very well. That's what I've noticed oh, over the years. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And one thing you, you mentioned, which I, I should reinforce, is recognition. You know, often recognition, as you said, doesn't need to come in the form of money. Often it's a recognition at a company meeting or, you know, with the CEO or a simple email um, and that is also incredibly valuable, and I think it's the least expensive uh, of the things that we can do as leaders is really um, say thank you and recognize those, especially in um, accounting and finance roles. Oftentimes, you're sort of behind the scenes, um, and I know when I've had other colleagues at the company recognize my talent, it's like I've given them gold, and so really giving them opportunities to really shine even outside of the finance org is a, is a great uh, tool uh, for you as a leader to, to give some, you know, obviously well-deserved recognition uh, at, at uh, key times. I'm glad you you brought up uh, other departments. You know, the CEO is kind of like in that sales, get the company forward, operations. But I wanted um, you to give us some insight. You know, tell us how – you dealt with other department heads viewing accounting as this quote unquote like cost center and not a vital role in the decision making process. How do you get them to move away from that and then go into like, hey, accounting's great for operations? I mean, tell us how you've seen it work best. 
Yeah, no, you know, um, I think a couple things. One is um, it starts with the accounting team itself, and, and really, you know, in, in the organizations I've been, it starts with the CFO putting a charter on the group to to um, do more than just the debits and the credits, right? It's very easy to come in. All of us do this, right? We come in, we do our job, and it's the easy path because that's we have a job to do. But I think it takes courage for the accounting team to really step out of their comfort zone, if you will, which is sort of the numbers and really sit down with a business leader and understand the business from a completely different lens. And, and instead of understanding it from a transactional point of view, like I've got to book this entry, it's more around let me build a relationship with someone outside of the accounting organization and let me build a relationship with someone in sales or anyone really at the company, whether it's product or sales or marketing, and understand how this business works. So understand it beyond the numbers and be able to tell the story, the company narrative. I think that's where it starts because you want to come to the table as a finance professional or accounting professional with a, just the basic understanding of how the, how the game is played or how the game works. And, and I think that lends itself to credibility so that when you do have to talk to them about you know, 606 accounting, which is the hot topic right now, or any kind of revenue recognition or how we design comp plans and how we pay our employees, it comes with a different tone. It comes with someone who isn't tone deaf, someone who really understands the business, and, and that credibility goes a long way. Uh, and then you become more of a confidant as opposed to, I'm going to go see Christina because she's going to tell me how to recognize revenue. Um, what you really want is, I'm going to go see Christina to help me solve this problem. How do I how do I do this with my employees? How do I comp them in this way or recognize them in this way but still meet sort of the accounting criteria that we need to meet uh, to be uh, compliance with GAAP and whatnot. So I think it really stems from understanding the business and then giving your accountants the opportunity to get out of their day-to-day -day and giving them those opportunities to meet with the business and really understand. Uh, I think that's a huge part of it as well. So it sounds like building that relationship outside of accounting is is that critical component, right? Like getting to know some of the sales folks or the ops or, you know, the HR people and um, whether that's, you know, lunch or maybe even, you know, outside a, at a conference, et cetera, but getting to know them, but come to the table prepared, right? Like have a meaningful connection point with that um, other person in a different department because making them, quite frankly, you know, feel special. Like, hey, I just noticed this in a good way. Um, right. You, you know, you're showing like, hey, I put some effort in trying to get to know this department and I'm trying to build credibility with them, like like you stated earlier. And um, eventually, you know, everything that the company does hits accounting, right? I mean, it, it, it hits some number. So there, it's a great opportunity, you know, to reach out to other departments and um, be open to what they have to say is important about how the numbers get impacted. Right, um, and right. Rather than, and, and taking, than, yeah. Yeah, and taking those opportunities, you're exactly right, to see them when it's not a – you know, it's not quarter end or it's not close. You know, it's it's really seeing them and building that relationship throughout the year and throughout maybe downtimes, if you will, because I know accountants typically have their busy time, but really taking those opportunities when there isn't some pressing deadline to go build and foster that relationship, I think is super important. 
Yeah, and I'm going to do this because I love doing this at, at some of these uh, interviews. I'm going to do the time machine question, okay? So if you yeah. had a time machine, all right, and you can go back in time and tell yourself a little bit of advice about a growth situation, what advice would you tell yourself? You know, I think I would, um, I would, I would tell myself, one, figure out – what is really driving the growth in the company? You know, if, if I was in finance in particular, um, what is it that's really driving this company to the next level? Uh, and I and I literally mean, is it marketing? Is it that we're? Is it this new product? Like, what is really driving the growth of the company? Uh, and then I try to understand how much are we investing in that? And it sounds very very finance oriented, but I'd really try to understand. What investments are we trying are we making to drive growth? Equally, I would also understand what are the investments we're making that are not driving growth? What are the things that are in our way? And how do I understand those so that I can either minimize those and or work around them? Um, and so in particular, whether you're in accounting or finance, like there's there, it's a huge opportunity um, and really you know, if, if you're not in, in finance or accounting, like really getting to know your finance partner is important because they really have a holistic view of the company more than any other department, right? They really see the whole whole thing. And so pretty quickly you can um, deduce where the investment is going and what is driving growth if you just look at the whole picture. So that that's what I would do if I could go back in time. Uh, but I'd also tell myself as a, as a young professional is to keep keep my intellectual curiosity. Like don't don't stop asking questions. Uh, it sounds really simple, but I think a lot of folks when they're in out of their comfort zone, sometimes they don't ask as many questions because they're nervous that they don't know what they should know. And the truth is a lot of people don't know. And so um, being confident in asking questions and double-clicking on things that just don't seem right is a very valuable tool that I, I wish I would have been had more courage back, back earlier in my career. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, life is a journey, right? And, and you've mentioned a lot of things about drivers, right? Um, looking at what's really driving the business forward and, and more importantly, the key elements to the drivers and then the stuff that is, you know, it, it may appear to look like a driver, but guess what? It's actually a roadblock and how do you minimize it slash automate it or maybe even <laughs> some folks outsource even it. Even though like, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the curiosity piece, I can't tell you how many times I've heard um, other guests say something very, very similar, which is, you know, you may be in, let's say, internal audit and accounting, et cetera, and people want to pigeonhole you into that role, but don't let your curiosity um, stop when you want to learn something outside of that, for example, something that complements the business or um, something that actually you find passionate about um, that that could help uh, – you know, inspire your creativity because it will show up and, and work um, inevitably down the line. Very interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd also just add one thing, which is maybe not related to a growth company, but just broadly is, you know, as early as you can in your career, really explore um, outside of your job function, not because, let's say, you're an accountant or you're a finance person and you one day want to be sales, but 
to be a really effective uh, accountant or to be a really effective finance professional, um, it is so important to understand the other, you know, other complementary players on your team, if you will, um, and understand how they do what they do because it'll just make you a better partner. Um, and, I, and I wish I would have done that earlier in my career. I, I kind of figured that out at some point, but uh, if I would have done that from day one, I, I think I'd, I'd be that much smarter. Yeah, and get get to the uh, end game a little bit faster. Um, well, Lynette, as we wrap up this interview, I'm confident our listeners gained just a boatload of insight. I know that for sure, and especially how to deal with growth organizations. I want to say thank you again, Elena, for coming on our uh, show today. No, thank you, Sonia. It was my pleasure, and I uh, look forward to connecting again. All right. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.